matters most what God says about you. It matters most what God says about you. We tend to define and value ourselves according to what the world says, and the world tends to define and value us according to what the world says, but we come to the Word of God and we find how God values and defines us from His perspective. That's why you need to always return to God's Word and listen to what He says about who you are. In the 1970s, Apple was really starting to explode as a company, growing quickly. Uh, so as mo- a lot of companies do in the corporate culture, they, they needed to uh, organize better. So they decided that all the employees should wear numbered name tags. And the numbers would be based on when that employee joined Apple as an employee and as a worker in that company. Uh, So the subject was, well, what about the first two, Steve Wozniak and Steve Jobs? Uh, What name tags and what numbers did they get? So the board decided that Wozniak would be number one and Jobs would be number two. And that went over great with Steve Jobs. Narcissist that he was, he argued that no, he should be number one and Wozniak should be number two. He went back and forth with the board of directors. He said, even though they were in the same room at the same time when the idea came up for Apple, even though they launched it together, he should be number one because he was more the idea person and Wozniak should be number two. He even made the argument that because J comes before W, he should be number one and Wozniak should be. They didn't budge a bit. So he got to thinking about it and Jobs came back to him and he said, you know what, there's actually a number that comes before number one. It's zero. He said, so I want to be number zero and let Wozniak be number one. I don't know if anybody in the room laughed that day, but they decided, okay. So from that point forward, his name tag was Steve Jobs zero and Wozniak number one. We have to be careful about assigning value to ourselves. We always think more of ourselves than we should. And the Bible even warns us about that. Never think more of yourself than you should. Meaning always see yourself from God's point of view. In this series, Faces in the Crowd, we've been meeting people that interact with Jesus and Jesus changes their lives. And this morning we're going to return to Luke chapter 7 and again we find Jesus in the town of Capernaum where he's been in the last couple of installments. So find that with me, Luke chapter 7, and we're going to start reading at verse 36. The face in the crowd is is a young lady that comes into a dinner party where Jesus is present. And on this occasion, she's not coming because her life needs to be changed. She comes because her life has already been changed, and she needs to express her devotion and her worship for God's forgiveness in her life. Look at this with me. Luke chapter 7 and verse 36. The Bible says, Then one of the Pharisees invited him to eat with him. He He entered the Pharisee's house and reclined At the table, and a woman in the town who was a sinner found out that Jesus was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house. She brought an alabaster jar of perfume and stood behind him at his feet, weeping, and began to wash his feet with her tears. She wiped his feet with her hair, kissing them and anointing them with the perfume. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, This man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what kind of woman This is who is touching him. She is a sinner. Jesus replied to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. He said, say it, teacher. A creditor has two debtors. 
One he owed 500 denarii and the other 50. Since they could not pay it back, he graciously forgave them both. So which of them will love him more? Simon answered, well, I suppose the one he forgave more. And there's a bit of sarcasm in the tone, in the original language. It's something like, well, I suppose the one who gave, who forgave more. He forgave more. You have judged correctly, Jesus told him. Turning to the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she with her tears has washed my feet and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she hasn't stopped kissing my feet since I came in. You did not anoint my hair with olive oil, but she has anointed my feet with perfume. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. That's why she loved much, but the one who is forgiven little loves little. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this man who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Still in Capernaum, the people are getting more and more familiar with Jesus. More and more people have heard him teach and they've seen him heal. And as we've seen the Pharisees and the scribes on the fringe, listening to him and then complaining about what he says or does, This particular Pharisee, we're far far enough along now in his ministry in Capernaum, this particular Pharisee wants to get to know him better and does Jesus the honor of inviting him to a meal at his house. Now this was an honor in the ancient world. In fact, what it meant was Jesus was the guest of honor. So when Jesus was invited to the meal, he would be reclining. They didn't sit at the table like we do. They reclined at the table. He would have been reclining at the head of the table which would have been closest to the path for the servants to come in and out. And for anyone else who entered, they would have had direct access to Jesus. Now, because the Pharisee is learning about Jesus, he invites some of his friends who may want to learn more about Jesus to come to the dinner party as well. Now, I want to pause here and mention this is quite a contrast to the dinner party we we ended with two weeks ago when Levi, Matthew, chose to follow Christ and the first thing he did was throw a dinner party for sinners so that Jesus could be there and the sinners who were friends of his could get to know Jesus. The Pharisee invites the people that are his friends by implication meaning religious people. People who don't need the spiritual physician. Like Levi, the the tax collector, did. These are all good people. These are righteous people. These are religious people. So they're all around the table. And they're enjoying their meal. And and then we get deeper, more detailed into the story. Another custom of the day would have been to leave the door open. And this was so people on the street could have access. If they wanted to come in, they could come in. And if they wanted to even stand around, they could stand around because... The idea was they should be envious of the Pharisees and his dinner party. Uh, They should be able to watch and see how religious and and blessed he was because he was a good person and a Pharisee. So if someone wanted to trickle in, they could trickle in. Now, if there's any food left over, they would also give that to the folks on the street and the folks who trickled in. But uh, as was custom, the door was open and someone could come in. And and while they couldn't recline or or, or be at the table and eat, they could watch and, and they could be in awe. So a woman comes in. As would be custom, she would have been, had her head covered. She would have had her head bowed. But she would have had direct access to Jesus. She's unnamed. She's never mentioned in the story. 
And we might speculate, and, and people have speculated over the years who she might have been trying to compare her to other ladies in the Gospels. There's no reason to do that because the point of the story is she's unnamed. So she comes in and she squats down, kneels down at the feet of Jesus while the dinner party is going on. And she has a bottle of perfume with her that she pops the top, top off of. But even before she has time to start anointing his feet, she starts to cry. And, and probably at first it was a whimper. And then it turned into crying, which turned into weeping. Luke's language means she went on and on and on. And then she starts anointing his feet and wiping his feet with her tears and anointing his feet and wiping his feet with her tears. And then at some point, she uncovers her head and she takes her hair and she starts to cleanse his feet with her hair while she weeps and while she cries. Two different people. Two different perspectives on how to treat God. And both of them reveal God knows more about you than you think he does. God knows who you are. He knows more about you than you think he does. And both of them reveal that our response to God says a lot about our relationship with God. It says a lot about what we think of God. But there's also a question embedded in here. So let me bring that pointedly now because we're going to revisit it in just a minute. There's a question here. If your worship, your actions of worship, demonstrated your appreciation for what God has done for you, what would your actions of worship say about your appreciation for what God's done for you? If your worship, if your actions demonstrate outwardly your grasp and appreciation of what God has done for you, then what do those actions, what does that worship say about your grasp and your appreciation of what God has done for you? It's a very, very telling question, isn't it? And we're going to unpack the story. We're going to look at three truths that remind us again, God knows us better than we know ourselves, and, and remind us again of how we, how we participate in worship, how we treat God, says a lot about what we believe in our relationship with God. So look at these three truths with me this morning. You're going to apply them to your own life, and you're going to see probably that we're a, more, a lot more like the Pharisee than we are the woman. And here's what I mean. First of all, the story reminds us God knows who you are. God knows who you are. When the woman comes in, she is not known by name, but she's known by reputation. Uh, and Simon the Pharisee thinks to himself, doesn't say it out loud like the Pharisees in the previous stories have been doing, this Pharisee thinks to himself, this man Jesus, surely he's not a prophet. If he were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman this is. In other words, he would not dare let her touch him. What kind of woman this is that's touching him? He, he wouldn't let her do that. Now, the clear implication is she's not just a sinner like, like Levi was. She's a prostitute. Maybe at best an adulterer, but really the implication is she's a prostitute. She's known by reputation, not by name. So Simon the Pharisee thinks this to himself. And Jesus responds to his thoughts. Not what he said out loud. The guy who just thought to himself, surely this man's not a prophet. 
didn't catch it when the man who's not a prophet started talking to him about what he was thinking. Now, you know, you'll notice Jesus doesn't directly address his thoughts. So his answer is sort of benign. Jesus says, I have something to say to you, like a rabbi would say before he starts to teach. And the Pharisee says, okay, go ahead and say it. He doesn't catch, at least not yet, that it coincides with exactly what he was just thinking. So Jesus is not only about to reveal that he is a prophet, he's about to reveal that he's God. Not just any prophet, but he's God who can forgive sins. And as the story moves along, Jesus asks the Pharisee, a question. Do you see this woman? God likes to teach in questions. Have you ever noticed that? One of the first things God does in teaching is a question. Adam, where are you? In the Garden of Eden, it wasn't a, a question about Adam's physical location. It was a question about his spiritual condition. Adam, look what you've done. It's like when you say to your child, what have you done? Not really a question. God likes to teach in questions. We see Jesus do it over and over and over. Whose image is on this coin? More and more examples are there. Simon, do you see this woman? His answers from a very worldly perspective? Sure, he thinks in his mind. Yeah, she's right here. But what God means by that is, I know her. I know her better than she knows herself. And Simon, I know you better than you know yourself too. I know what goes on in that heart of yours. I see what you do not see. And that's how God sees you. You put on a a, a good picture to the outside world. Uh, People see what you want them to see, or at least that's what you hope. Remember that God knows who you are. God sees what the world doesn't see. God sees past your religion and your good works and your efforts to look good to everyone around you. God knows who you are. But the beauty of it is God loves you. Just like you are. God loves you. He knows who you are because he created you. He knows her name even though it's not said in the text out loud. But God knows who she is and God knows who you are. The world, maybe not so much. They don't really know who you are because you're putting on fronts for the world. But remember that God knows who you are. Uh, there's a question after that statement, and I, I would put it this way. Okay, God knows who you are. Do you know who you are? Do you know who God says you are? Because that's who you really are. That's why we need the Word of God. The Word of God tells us we are created in God's image. We are image bearers. We are of value simply because God created us. Every human being, without question, that's who you are. And that leads us to the second thing, the second truth we're reminded of. God knows what you've done. God knows who you are. God knows what you've done. If he knew who this woman was touching him, he would not let her do it. She's a sinner. Well, he knows who she is, just like he knows who you are. And he knows what she's done, just like he knows what you've done. Uh, The middle of the story is a parable, the parable of the debtors. It's a very simple parable. And Jesus says to Simon, I want to tell you something. Simon says, okay, just like a good rabbi or Pharisee would. And he tells him a parable of the debtors. Uh, The creditor has loaned money to do different people. Uh, One of those people now owes the creditor 500 denarii, 
The other one owes 50 denarii. A denarii, a denarius was one day's wages. So one of the debtors owes 500 days wages. The other owes 50. Clearly not nearly as much. Simon still doesn't quite grasp the point of this particular parable, and I'm not sure he ever did, but for you and I, let's be sure we understand where Jesus is going. You and I owe a debt that we cannot repay. You and I owe a sin debt to God that we cannot repay. There's no way to do that. And our grasp of our own situation and our grasp of what God has done about that will be reflected in the way we respond to God, especially in worship. So Jesus asked, which of these two do you think, when the creditor forgives both of their debts, which one do you think loves more? Which one uh, is more relieved? Which one is more lavish in their appreciation? Well, obviously the one that, that was forgiven more. So then he says, pay attention to what's happened here, Simon. This woman has been washing my feet with her tears. You didn't even do the respectful courtesy, the custom of the day, and have one of your servants wash my feet when I came into the house. You didn't even do that. You started out treating me with disrespect or at least a lack of courtesy. You didn't even give me the customary kiss of greeting. When I came into your home, the Middle Eastern kiss of hello that you give your guests, you didn't even do that. You snubbed me with no greeting. It would be like inviting someone to your home and not shaking their hand when they got there. But she's been kissing my feet since she got here. You didn't even take cheap olive oil and anoint my head to get rid of some of the smell of the day. She's been lavishing my feet with expensive perfume. He doesn't ask the question, but it's hanging in the air. So which of you, Simon, the woman or you, which of you understands what God has done? Which of you loves God more? Because your outward expression demonstrates your grasp of what God has done for you. And her outward expression, her lavish, lavish outward expression of worship shows, Simon, she gets it. And your lack of expression, your unwillingness to even greet me when I walk in your house shows you don't get it. Because she's not the only sinner in the room, is she? She's not the only one in need of forgiveness, is she? And Simon, you're not forgiven if you don't get it. Isn't it good to know that God knows what you've done and still receives you with compassion and grace? Isn't it good to know that God knows you just like you are? He knows what you've done and he still forgives you when you ask. Isn't that good to know? And if you know that, and you know that God knows what you've done, the question then is, do you know what you've done? And, and does it show in your worship? Does it show in your expression 
Does it show in your love for God and Jesus Christ? Is it, does your heart illustrate it by your lavish worship? I don't misread that to say that everybody's got to worship the same way. The point is a matter of the heart. And your worship can be lavish and be quiet. It can be lavish and be loud. The point is that it is lavish and generous, not because you're required to do it, but because you, you love God so much for what he's done for you. Do you know what he's done for you? He paid a debt you could not pay when Christ went to the cross for you. And when you say, I trust Jesus as my Savior, you accept his pardon, his forgiveness. You acknowledge he paid a debt you could not pay. Our worship should show that we get it. We understand it. And the third, third truth is, God also knows what we need. He knows who you are. He knows what you've done, and he knows what you need. He turns to the woman and says twice, your sins are forgiven, you are saved, and finally go in peace. Why does he do that? Well, I want you to notice the nature of the statement. See, she didn't just have her sins forgiven right there. It's already happened. Somewhere in the street, somewhere where Jesus was teaching, somewhere the day before, the day before that, but probably a little more immediately than that because of her lavish, the lavish nature of her gratitude and worship. But at some point before she came in the room, as Jesus puts it, your sin has been forgiven. It's already happened. See, she's not going through these actions to gain forgiveness. She's showing the results of her understanding of her forgiveness. She's worshiping him. She's lavish in her praise because she knows she has been forgiven. And she comes in to worship him and Jesus knows what she needs before she goes. He knows she needs to a confirmation, a reminder that she has been forgiven. You know, one of the reasons we come to worship, whether it's personally or publicly, we come to be reminded of the cross. We come to be reminded of the gospel. We come to be reminded of what Christ has done for us. Now and then you feel pressed down, put away. You may even have doubts about your own forgiveness or what God has done for you. Then you return here and God, and, and that, and God takes that away, that doubt away because you worship him and he says to, to you again, yes. If you've trusted Christ as your savior, if you've depended on the cross, if you know he's risen from the grave, yes, you have been forgiven. Go in peace, he says to her. It implies you came in struggling. Again, no. Go in peace. Your faith has saved you. It's true. You really are forgiven. It's true. And, and it's stated, Jesus says, I know her many sins. Wow, her many sins. But he says, you're forgiven. You're forgiven. And your lavish worship shows it. Do you know who God says you are? Do you know that he knows what you've done? And he knows what you need. Do you know what you need? Do you know what you need? Do you know that you need to worship him? To be lavish in your praise. To stop trying to prove yourself to other people and start focusing on your God 
and the forgiveness he gives you in Christ. And did you know that what you need if you've never trusted Christ is to be forgiven of your sins in Christ? You need Jesus. You need to be forgiven of your sins. A believer in Christ, take it to heart. If you've trusted Christ as your Savior, don't let the world define you. Don't let the world tell you who you are. Let Jesus tell you who you are. You're a born-again believer in Jesus Christ. And those sins have been forgiven. Tonight are the Academy Awards. I won't be watching. Never do. The self-adulation of wealthy elites. And now they're being honest about it. Even Seth, actor Seth Rogen flat out said this week, why do we keep doing this? That's what he said. Why do actors and celebrities keep congratulating one another? And he said, can you believe it? Nobody cares. Uh, but the Academy has a contract through 2028 to put the Academy Awards on television. And their ratings have been declining dramatically over the years. In the late 1990s, the Academy Award program drew something like 57 to 60 million viewers. Last year, 9 million people. 9 million people. That's quite a slump. And you can blame it on COVID and you can blame it on theaters being closed. And that, that's certainly part of it. But in reality, we've all started to say, you know, how much does this really matter? in my life that I watch this. But, but the Academy is grasping to get audiences to return, to come back to the television, to watch once again the Academy Awards. So this year, they're going to make an effort to shorten it a little bit. And one of the ways they did that is they took out of the Academy Awards eight of the, what they consider, lesser awards. And they're going to present those awards ahead of time, but it won't be on television. And then during the Academy Awards, they'll make passing mention of the eight recipients of those particular awards. Now, out of curiosity, who do you think is most angry? Those eight people, those eight nominees, the ones for those eight awards. It's even already, it's being called the excluded eight. Because they're not important enough. Their awards, their work, their life is not important enough to, to be there with everybody else. They're, they're not celebrity enough. They're not high enough, significant enough. Aren't you glad that's not God? And remember that every time you want to pat yourself on the back. With self-adulation and celebration of your great works, every time you do that, think of yourself as Simon the Pharisee. Aren't I good? God, don't you know what that person's done? I'm so glad I'm not like that. But also remember that in, with God in Christ, there's no excluded group. Everyone's saved the same way. Everyone's forgiven because of Christ. Not because of your good works, not because of my good works, not because you dress well, look good, and aren't we grateful for that? No. Because of Jesus. Because of Jesus. We owe a debt we cannot pay. Christ died on the cross for you to be forgiven of your sins. So have you trusted Christ as your Savior? You in-house and at home, I'm going to give you a chance to do that through a simple prayer in just a few minutes. And if you've never trusted Christ as your Savior and been forgiven of your sins, I want to invite you to pray that prayer with me right now. You know, he knows who you are, and he knows what you've done, and he knows what you need. 
you need Jesus. And those of you in-house and at home, you say, well, I've trusted Christ as my Savior. Let me ask you a question. Has your worship turned into church going? Has your day, have your days turned into rushing through and, and going through the motions and nodding at your devotional and your Bible? Or, or you find yourself saying, I'll get back to that later. And maybe a perfunctory prayer at the table, but not really any worship behind it. Well, let me ask you this again. If your worship were the, were the demonstration of your appreciation for what God's done for you in Christ, then what does it say about your appreciation for what God's done for you in Christ? Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we pause in this moment. And I pray first of all for those of us who say we are followers of Christ. We have confessed Christ as our Savior and our Lord. But God, we know that we are more like the Pharisee than we are the woman. We know, God, that our busyness and our religion and our ritual have gotten in the way of our worship. So God, for all of us, I ask your forgiveness for that, Father. Please forgive us. And God, I pray you would, you would accept us and cleanse us and bring us back into worship with you, God. We're sorry for the thing we made it. When we made it all about us, God, please forgive us for that. But God, we know that you know who we are. You know what we've done. And God, we ask you would forgive us. And we praise you, God, for what you've done for us in Christ, for paying that debt we could not pay. Father, I pray for every believer here in house and at home that if today is the day we need to start over with you, we would start fresh. We would confess to you, God, that we've been lax and and uh, we've been ritualistic and we've been legalistic even, God, that we've just been going through the motions. God, we confess that to you and start over with you today. But Father, I believe there's some in this room, maybe one or two, maybe one or two at home, God, that have never trusted Christ as their Savior, that have never experienced real lavish forgiveness that comes from you. So Father, I pray as, as we remember, you know who we are and you know what we've done, that we also know Today, we acknowledge you, you know what we need. We need Jesus. So, Father, for that one, I pray, God, this prayer with them that they would trust Christ as their Savior today. Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I am. I know I have a debt that I cannot pay. No amount of going to church, no amount of being good will pay that debt. I know that I'm a sinner. And I know I can't save myself. But Jesus, I understand now what it means. And I believe you died on the cross for me to pay that debt. And you've risen from the grave and you're alive today. So Jesus, I ask this in humble faith. I ask you to come into my heart and into my life to forgive me of my sins and give me a home in heaven. I will follow Christ from this day forward. And Jesus, I pray for all of us that our worship from this day on, our worship, would show our gratitude and our appreciation and our grasp of what you have done for us at the cross. And we praise you and we thank you for that. And Father, for any decisions we have made this morning, Father, I pray we would follow through with those decisions. And it's in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.